we are in our series. We're going through mission, vision, culture. Uh, we're going through the four cultural values that we believe God has called Redeemed Church to demonstrate. And so we talked about bold engagement. That's one. We're now talking about bilingual faith. So this will be the last week of that. And then we'll talk about bridges to the broken. And lastly, a body of diversity. And all of this stuff is found in scripture. But it's important that we flesh it out and in our context and add language so that we know how to understand it and how to apply it, how to get on board and how to live it out. And so last week, we really dove into this idea of understanding that Jesus is both God and man. How many were not here last week? Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you weren't here last week, the messages build on themselves. So go to redeem.church and you can go to media and all of our uh, podcasts are there. So you can catch up on that. Today, I want to continue on this and we had some fun last week. It was uh, kind of intro level and lighthearted. We're not having any fun today, okay? We're, we're going deep, okay? Today's not about fun. Today's about learning, all right? Now, we'll have fun, but this is some steak today. So put your dentures in, grab your A1 sauce. Come on, grab your knife and your fork because uh, we're going to eat some meat today. Are you all ready to dive deep? Okay. So if you're a note taker, which you should be, get your pen and your pad out, and there should be smoke coming from that pad, all right? All right. The message today is called Dust on the Throne. Say that with me. Dust on the Throne. And we're going to talk about the importance of Jesus not just coming as a human, fully God, but remaining human. Now, some of you, I know that it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, like, he's not still human, is he? And... It, it's not just a theological fun fact. There's actually some serious theological ramifications for the fact that he is still fully man and fully God. And today, I pray that as we understand why it's important, that it would really impact the way we approach God. And it would impact our understanding and our love for him because this is so important that we understand that he didn't shed his humanity when he rose from the dead. So think about this. Adam was created by God who was not created. So God is not a created being. He always existed. Nobody created God, okay? Which is just, it, that's pretty easy to understand. All you gotta do is just think about it, right? <laughs> um, I, I can't get my mind around it. I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know that anybody does because we're stuck, in, we're stuck in time and maybe one day God will allow us to understand this. But you have the uncreated God who creates the universe and material and animals and he sticks his hands in the dirt. Everything else he spoke into existence. But when it came to man, to you and I, he actually got his hands involved and he breathed his spirit into this dust man. Out of the dust of the ground, he formed man and he breathed his spirit into his nostrils, his breath into his nostrils. And man became an, a living being, a living soul. And so the uncreated God takes dust and creates man. But then the uncreated God... He then comes down in the person of Jesus and as fully God, he takes on dust. So he wasn't created in it, but he chooses to embrace it 
and embody it. He's God and he's man. He carries our flesh without losing any of his divinity. And when he dies on the cross, he raises from the dead and he ascends into heaven as fully God. He was also fully man and he didn't lose any of his humanity when he went to heaven. Now, why is this important? You see people, I've seen these uh, situations where somebody will, I, in fact, I did it. Me and, me and a friend, we went homeless for one night. Just, you know, I went out on the streets and lived the homeless life just to get an experience and, and meet people. And we had some incredible encounters and some opportunities to minister. And, and uh, it was rough. It was, it was not like sleeping in my bed. It was cold. It was, I think, November in Tacoma. And there are people that will do this for a week, two weeks, some a month, two months. But at the end of putting on homelessness and the wardrobe of homelessness, 100% of the time, the folks that are done with that experiment, they put off that wardrobe and they go back to the wardrobe they started with. And we have this idea that Jesus came down and he just sucked it up and he put on humanity and 33 years later, he could not wait to just, I did my deal, I did the experiment, I, I went to the cross, I paid for their sins. I cannot wait to get out of this uncomfortable suit called human flesh. That's kind of how we see it sometimes. Yet he didn't and he never will. For eternity, we have a man on the throne who is fully God. Now, what does that say? Why is that important? What does that teach us? Well, number one, it reveals the high value God puts on people like you and I. See, listen, it's one thing to come, and it's amazing for Jesus to show up as a person, but it's a whole nother mind-blowing level of amazement that he would not just come and, and, and be us for a time, but he would stay us for eternity. This is trillions and trillions of years. This means that when you look in the mirror and you see yourself flawed and you see the problems with you and you see how much you fall short and you look at yourself and sometimes you have a hard time approaching God because you look at him as so divine and he is and so holy and he is that you feel like he won't accept you when you come to him because you're just this flawed, imperfect human being that's not worthy to come into his presence. But you got to remember, Jesus, when you receive Christ, he made you worthy um, because of him. He put his righteousness on you and your humanity isn't repulsive to him your humanity is actually endearing to him. And so when you see your identity in Christ, it's not just the Christ side. He loves who he made you to be. He loves that you are a person. He loves your personality. He loves your quirks. He doesn't love the sin. He doesn't love that stuff. But he loves you as a person. Not just not just because of Jesus. Jesus makes it possible for him to connect and be joined to us. But within the person of Christ, you still have an identity and a personality and you will have that for eternity with a new body. And so I love this, that God puts such high value on us 
And he shows it in the fact that Jesus Christ remains one of us for eternity. So God came to save us and he continues keeping us saved in his humanity. Number two, it assures us that we will remain ourselves forever with perfected bodies. Now this is cool. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. In the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they, what's they? Our bodies. The same body, they will be raised in glory. So same body, but perfected, right? Less stuff hanging off the sides here for Dave, okay? You know, whatever your issue is, right? Like, you don't have to worry. If you look in the mirror and it's like, man, like, trust me, you're gonna, you're gonna look like a Greek God, okay? So it says, they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies buried in brokenness will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies for just as they are natural bod- there are natural bodies that are also spiritual bodies. Now this makes it kind of sound like our bodies will no longer have matter like flesh and bones. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there's a natural flesh and there's a spiritual flesh or body. Here's how you, you know this. We, we break the word body down and the, bo- the word is soma. It just means flesh. It means flesh and blood, material. And then when it gets to the natural and the spiritual, when he uses these phrases to compare one body to the new body, what he's saying is he's talking about the, the condition of the soul inhabiting that body. That you're still going to have this physicality. We're still going to be here on the earth when God sets up his kingdom. But the, the mind, the will, and the emotions will be completed and perfected in this body that is no longer corrupted. Now, this is important because we see that Jesus, when he raised from the dead, we know that this is an assurance that we have because when he raised from the dead and he ascended, he didn't zip out of the suit and float up as a spirit. They saw him go up in bodily form. So Jesus ascended and how he looked and the way his body was glorified, we will have that same body, which means we're gonna know the ones that we lost that are in heaven, that there is, there's not a new you that God gives you. He gives you the perfected you, but he doesn't make you somebody you never were. You become the perfect you you were always meant to be. I love this because it answers so many of the questions of why sometimes we don't want to go to heaven. Like I don't want to float, float around and sit on a cloud and strum a harp for eternity. That sounds so boring, right? Um, like, of course, I'd rather have that than hell. Can I get an amen, right? Give me a cloud and a heart. Make me a fat baby. I don't care. Like, I don't need to speak English. Let me drool forever. I don't want to go to hell. But, but what, it, what it tells us is that this, this eternity that God has planned for us, it's more like earth than it is these pictures of heaven we've been given. Right, we... we Show me in the Bible where we spend eternity in heaven and I will show you a fake Bible because you can't find it. 
We go to heaven when we die, we're in the presence of the Lord, but it says that heaven comes down to us and we spend eternity on the globe of Eden. God remakes this earth and we have trees and we have rivers and we build houses and we have vineyards and we have relationships and we have responsibilities and we enjoy life and we eat food and we spend time together, right? So this was God's original intent. He's not changing that. He's saying, I'm going to fix what Adam lost. He started out tending a garden, following me. He ruined it. Satan took over. And now I'm redoing it because God's plan is not going to be thrown in the trash. Satan will not be able to get God to change his mind because God, when he says something, it will be accomplished. His word is true. Amen? This is another reason why it's so important. And this is the, the main thing here. Um, it's important that Jesus continues in the incarnation. That it wasn't 33 years, but it's forever. It's important because it means that our atonement or our peace with God continues because his incarnation continues. Now this is where you got to put your, your, your thinker on here. Listen. Jesus came as a human being because human beings fell. Adam was a man, Adam sinned. It had to be another man who paid the penalty as a perfect man who had to live sinlessly. There had to be a, a, a sacrifice that was without spot, without blemish, without any sin, without any guilt. Meeting the perfection or the requirement um, of God to go to heaven or to be right in his sight. And that man would have to give his life as a sacrifice and die like a sinner so that other human beings through him could be saved. Now this might be confusing, but let me, let me help break this down a little bit. If Jesus' humanity ended at the cross, he, he dies on the cross, he sheds his blood, but... He's still doing work right now in heaven. He's making intercession for us. What does that mean? Gosh, this is so powerful. And I'll say this again later, but the reason, the reason we can, that God and man can be brought together in peace and reconciliation is because Jesus is both God and man. It means that Jesus, he sits on the throne at the right hand of God because he's God, but we sit at the right hand of God on the throne because he's human. Right. We are in Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places. So because he's the God-man, he can bring the God and the man together in harmony. Because of his perfect divinity and his perfect humanity, offered as a sacrifice, he's now the one that can bridge the gap and bring us together. If he ceases being a human, then we lose our atonement. That's why for eternity, he will remain a human because he is the reconciler. He is the mediator. He is the peacemaker. He is the one who joins us with God in union forever. So he stays a man so we can stay in peace with God. Isn't that good? Isn't Jesus amazing? Can we give him praise? 
So look what God does. And, and this is the thing about, oh, I don't know if the, I hear this all the time. Oh, the Bible ain't real. It's just written by, by, by a bunch of sheep herders. I'm like, okay, if a bunch of sheep herders wrote this, then these are the most brilliant sheep herders to ever walk the planet. Three continents, multiple authors over a span of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And all these writers, their, their story and their the, the inspired writings by the Holy Spirit, it all weaves together into this amazing, perfect love letter to humanity. And here, here's one of the things that's so cool. So God takes in Leviticus and Exodus, he gives them strict commands. He said, okay, only Levites, only the tribe of Levi, I, I'm going to make you my priests. And out of the priests, there's going to be one high priest. And that high priest has a job because people are sinful. Israel, you're my people. 12 tribes, you belong to me. Israel is my inheritance. I'm your God, you're my people, but you still have sin. And so until the one time perfect sacrifice comes, we're gonna have some ceremonies in every year so that your sin can be covered over and you can be forgiven every year. I'm instituting, now watch this. This is, this is over a thousand years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. They didn't know what they were doing. They had no idea that what they were doing would foreshadow the, the incarnate God-man and what he does for us and what he's continuing to do for us. And so they just do what God told them. And so they build this tabernacle. Eventually it would be a temple. And within that tabernacle, there was different stations, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. And the high priest, once a year, would go through these ceremonies. And here's what he would do. Now watch this, so powerful. So he would start by washing he would go through the ceremony of getting clean before he entered the presence of God. Okay, so we got three carpets here. So you have the outer courts and the Gentiles and Jews alike could go there, women. Then you get to the inner court and there's less, there's more restriction of who can be in there. Then you get into the Holy of Holies and one person can go there. And so he goes through this cleansing process and what he's doing is he's getting right before he stands in the very presence of God. Because you can't stand in the presence of a holy God and live. Because his holiness will not tolerate or cannot mix with sinfulness. And so there has to be this process of sanctification, cleansing, and being made right before he goes and offers sacrifices for the people and for himself. And so he goes through this. After he does that, um, he uh, dresses in these ritual garments so he puts on these special garments for this act. Now, don't miss this. So on part of this garment, there was a breastplate. And on this breastplate was inscribed the 12 tribes of Israel, which represented the high priest getting ready to go before the Ark of the Covenant. And he's carrying God's people, the names of God's people on his heart. I mean, he carries them in essence into the presence of God. And when he goes into the presence of God, first he brings a sacrifice for himself and for his family, a blood sacrifice. So he's made right. He is now, quote unquote, the picture of perfect in God's sight. He at that moment is without sin, so he can now talk to God and God will accept him. But then he comes in with the blood of a bull or a goat. 
And now he's right there and God's presence lives in this box, in this little section, this little tent. And when he's in there, he takes the blood and what he's doing is he's making intercession outside of the eyes of all the people. Nobody can see him. He's there with God behind this curtain. It's just him. But what he's doing in that curtain, just the high priest in God, is going to benefit all the people that are not allowed to go in there. And so he takes the blood and he sprinkles it seven times on the mercy seat of God. They didn't know why seven. I mean, they had a clue, but they had no idea what this would represent. So he dips the hyssop branch and he sprinkles it seven times on this altar, this, this mercy seat. He's making intercessions. He's confessing the sins of all the people. And then what he does is he comes out. And when he comes out, this is the moment that everybody's waiting for because without the forgiveness of sin, there is no relationship with God. So he comes out, he lays his hands on the scapegoat. And the sins are put on that scapegoat and the scapegoat is sent away into the desert. And in essence, God takes the sin away and, and, and it's placed on this animal. And then he pronounces a blessing to the people and says that God has accepted the blood sacrifice and you are now forgiven for all the sins you committed. Like they had Mardi Gras for a year and, and now like turn in your, your beads, it's, you know, but you're forgiven. The high priest is doing two things. He is going to God for the people. He's standing on behalf of the people in the presence of God. Then he comes out and he represents God to the people. So he goes in for the people. He goes out for the people. But the one is bringing sin to God to forgive. And he comes out and he brings forgiveness to the people from God. So the high priest plays this dual role, right? Now check this out. Here's Jesus acting on our behalf as our high priest. And I read this a few times this week and just got goosebumps. Let me read the passage first and then I'll break it down. Hebrews 9, 6 and 7 and 11 through 12. When everything had been prepared in this way, so they're explaining how Jesus was the high priest and how, he was a, a, how that was a foreshadow. When everything had been prepared in this way, the priests entered regularly into the first room to perform their sacred duties. But only the high priest entered the second room and then only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Verse 11 says this, but when Christ came as high priest of good things that have come, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by hands and is not of this creation. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Now remember, this is written in the New Testament and they're talking to Jews, explaining, why do you think God had you go through all those rituals? Here's what it was pointing to so that when Jesus came, you realized he is the fulfillment of our sacrifice and of the priest that makes us right with God. So look at this. So Jesus, he comes perfect, washed clean. He meets that criteria. But then he didn't put on garments with the breastplate and names inscribed, but he did put on a garment. He put on the garment of human flesh. 
And when he puts on the garment of human flesh, it's like the priest putting on the breastplate with the names of God's people inscribed on it. So when Jesus puts on humanity, he is carrying the names of every human being into the presence of God. He carries us and he holds us and he bears us as he goes into the heavenly tabernacle to the real mercy seat of God. And because he's a human, look guys, because he's a human, because he wears that garment, even after he resurrects, he's able to represent us as one of us and God sees the name of every human being in the suit he wears. Okay? Now, now check this out. It gets so good here. So Jesus Christ, he presents himself. And he's not just the priest. He comes as the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. So think about this. He goes on our behalf and instead of the blood of goats and bulls, he sprinkles his own blood on the mercy seat. God is so good. Think about all that Jesus went through to redeem you and I and reconcile us. How much does he love you? If he would do all of this and go through the torture of the whips and the nails and the mockery for those that he created, he came to die for. So he enters the Holy of Holies in heaven as the priest and as the sacrifice. Now, they didn't know why they sprinkled the blood seven times, but if you look through scripture and you look where Jesus shed his blood, he shed his blood seven different places. Number one, he shed blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood because of the stress he was under knowing he would face the cross. Number two, he shed blood with the stripes on the whipping post. By his stripes, you are healed. 39 lashes. Number three, he sheds blood when they cram the crown of thorns down on his brow and from his brow, he bleeds. Number four, he sheds blood as they pierce his hands with nails. Number five, he sheds blood when they pierce his feet. Number six, he sheds blood when they pierce his side and he literally dies from a broken heart and out of his side, blood and water flow. And seventh, we see in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquity. Number seven, he bleeds, he sheds his blood under the skin. Bruising is bleeding under the skin. And he goes into the, the, the heavenly tabernacle and where the priest a thousand plus years before gave seven sprinkles of animal blood, he gives seven sprinkles of his own blood and he meets the sacrifice required so that Dave Riesinger and everybody here who doesn't deserve it will have mercy and can approach God knowing that we have belonging. Amen. Come on, can you give him praise today? So Jesus, in closing here, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies bearing our humanity. Uh, and then he blesses us. He comes out, our sins are sent away. 
And he pronounces the blessing and he shows that by giving us the Holy Spirit. So now, not only does he, uh, did he die for us, but now he lives in us. And therefore we have victory. I've said this before, but you don't have victory. You don't have authority. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have power. Christ has victory, joy, power. He has peace. And if I'm in Christ, then I'm in victory and I'm in peace and I'm in joy. Amen? And so that's the only way we have it. And so this is, this is the substitutionary work of Christ. He died instead of you for your forgiveness and he lives instead of you for your victory, right? And so this is why we have to continue to wake up every day and say, God, I know, I know that I've been positioned theologically in you and spiritually in you, but I also want to walk in that victory, which means I can try really hard to overcome sin by, by giving better effort or I can just dial into walking with Christ knowing that victory is automatic if I'm in him and with him. Does that make sense? That's why it says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We spend all our flipping time on this list trying to be like, okay, stop smoking, stop cussing, you know, stop drinking, stop doing all these things. And we put all this effort on a list and Jesus is like, you can do that or I've got a better plan. Why don't you just focus on one thing on the list? I want to walk in the spirit. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, show me your word. God, I need you. Lord, would you help me? Walk in the spirit and the list will get taken care of by the spirit. Right? That's the way to victory. So we wonder why we're crushed by a list. It's, it could be that we're not spending the time cultivating a walk in his presence. And without that, we have no power against the list. Isn't it funny? I, you know, I just, I, I know from, from, because I know people that have uh, had this, not me, but um, I have a friend. It's so funny how we can take, like we conquered something on the list, but all we did was add some other addiction. Right? So for me, it was like, I got saved and like instantly, like when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had no craving for pills, alcohol. I mean, cigarettes were, you know, whatever. I just, a short stint, weed, whatever. But literally it was a miracle. And I'm not saying that happens for everybody instantly. But, but then it was like, you know, I found out about coffee and nothing against coffee. I'm not saying it's bad, but like we went and started going to Sherry's and I became like, I had a tap, like, I, literally, I had a shunt, and uh, I was constantly being fed from a backpack, right? Or it was video games or whatever. And so we think we conquered it, but walking in Christ is our victory. Okay, let me, let me read this last. This is so amazing. So our mediator, our peacemaker, God, he can bring us together with God because he's both God and man. Now, it says in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, everybody say every respect, every respect. has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, or therefore, with confidence, say confidence, 
draw near to the throne of grace. Remember that throne of grace or mercy? Why can we draw near? Because it's sprinkled in blood. Meaning that Jesus Christ, he made accessible the throne of grace as the God-man, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So therefore, lastly, number four, the ongoing humanity of our Savior is important because it gives us direct access to God in heaven. Ephesians 2, 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So again, Jesus gets to sit on the throne in heaven because he's God. We get to be seated on that same throne because he's a man. And because we're in him. No, we're not the savior. We don't have the same clout, but we have the same direct access to God because we're with him next to God. And God has nothing but open arms for those who have put their faith in Jesus. So closing thought would be this. How do we respond? It's a matter of knowing the difference between union and communion. Union means that when I receive Jesus Christ, and maybe you've not done that in here today, but the union is something that is permanent that God puts in place and God keeps in place because he's a promise keeper. Meaning that when I, when I repent of my sin, I turn and I say, Jesus, I believe that you did die on the cross. You rose from the dead. You lived a perfect sinless life. You died a sinner's death. And the only way I could be forgiven is by putting my faith and trust in you, right? So when I do this, I have union with God. I am forgiven. Heaven is my home. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I am saved, not perfect still in the process of sanctification, still have some growing in Christ-likeness to achieve in my life through the power of the Spirit, but I have union. But then we have this other part, which is communion. Here's what the union looks like, Romans 8:34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This is what he's doing now. He's making petition, supplication. He's communicating to the Father through his humanity to God for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that's good news today, amen. So that's our union and our communion is not the position he puts us in, but the lifestyle we choose to walk in. That's why you can be perfectly saved, but you can have poor connection to God. That's why you can be, you, heaven can be your home, but you can have a miserable walk. Why? Because God has secured his portion, but he said, will you commune with me? 
Will you work out your salvation on this side with fear and trembling? We can walk in the victory. We can walk in peace. We can walk in joy. Yes, we'll have hardships. But God says the communion side, it's up to you. I'll empower you, but I want you to experience my kingdom on this side. So let's go deeper in that relationship. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me today. Maybe you're here and you have no union with God. And please, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your heart would hear, your spirit would pick up what I'm about to say. Everything I read is just scratching the surface of what Jesus did and how it's explained. If he did all of that and he carried you into the presence of God and he made atonement for your sin, he paid the price for your sin, it's already paid for, but you have to accept it. Just because Jesus carried you into the presence of God and shed his own blood, it doesn't mean that you have union with Christ or with God. Here's the part. You are saved by grace through faith. Faith is your part, meaning that you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that he's the savior, and that, that he's the only one who can make you right. It's not by your good works. It's only by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing on him. So if you're here today and maybe you've gone to church, maybe you think you're a good person, but you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only way to heaven. And today you say, I, if I died today, I don't know without a shadow of a doubt that I would go to heaven. And today I want the assurance that I am saved and I'm unified today. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus and I want to be unified with him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, today I'm making that decision. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. I want to give you another moment. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. And maybe you're in here today and you've got union, but you feel like, God, my communion, I'm being crushed by the list. And Lord, I, I need you to help me walk in closer communion with you. I want you to raise your hand and say, God, I need, I need you to draw me into that place. Hold your hand up and say, Lord, when I leave this place, I want to walk out a new reality of closeness. Hold them up. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, what we're going to do, I'm going to have you stand to your feet and... I want you to repeat this prayer after me and let's just do business with God. If you raised your hand to be saved, to put your faith in Jesus, please come down. We're gonna ask our response team um, to be present at the front. Um, if you need prayer for anything, um, we're not gonna dismiss just a second, but especially if you raised your hand to be saved, come and talk to one of them. Give them your name and number. Bible says that we need to believe and be baptized. If you've not been baptized, that's part of showing our death to the old man, our life to the new. But we're gonna pray this prayer and I want you to say it from your heart and say it to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. And I thank you that you rose from the dead so I could have eternal life. Right now, I confess 
I've fallen short. My sin did separate me from you. But your blood, your love took away that separation and reconciled me to God. So right now, I receive forgiveness in full. Thank you for new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with the power to walk in victory. Now just say this, I am saved. I am forgiven. I am new. I am going to heaven. My past is gone. All things are new in Jesus Christ. I'm walking in victory because you live in me. In Jesus' name. Come on, can you give him praise this morning?